In the waning days of the legislative session, state lawmakers unanimously approved a bill designed to change how insurance companies pay for out-of-network ambulance services, a change that ambulance providers say is necessary to their financial viability, an argument we heard on the show back in August. But the direct payments required by the legislation are opposed by insurance companies who argue that efforts to change the disbursement model is a money grab by ambulance providers that don't want to negotiate rates for their services. For that perspective and more, we're joined in the studio by Lev Ginsberg, Executive Director of the New York State Conference of Blue Cross Blue Shield Plans. Welcome back to the show, Lev. Thank you, sir. So generally speaking, how do insurance companies pay for ambulance services when one of your clients receives services from a provider that's not in your network? Can you walk us through that billing process? Yeah, so maybe we should start when someone is in network. That might be the easiest way. So when an ambulance provider is in network, what happens is they make the call, they send the bill, and the insurance company pays directly to the ambulance provider. Uh, It serves as a a major incentive for ambulance providers to join networks, uh, the importance of which, of course, as you know, is having robust networks helps keep costs down for those that are insured and people who pay premium, including employers and individual New Yorkers. So public policy, one would think, uh, would support a a situation where more providers are in network, especially when you look at a situation like an ambulance where you don't have an option. So when you pick a doctor and you're making a decision on your doctor or your dentist, you look to see who is or who is not in network and you make that choice. Um, As a patient who unfortunately has to call an ambulance, you hit 911 and sort of first available arrives. So you don't really even have that choice to help control cost you, you're sort of stuck with whoever comes. Um, so one would think that public policy would want us to push more and more ambulance services into network and hope that they would negotiate. So the, the incentive for an ambulance service to join a network is they get this direct payment. Otherwise, as to your original question, if you uh, call an ambulance service and they are out of network, you as the customer actually receive the check from the insurance company to pay that bill and then you send it along to the ambulance services. The ambulance services are really pushing this bill, claiming that they're having a hard time collecting. And I think that ultimately the response is join a network. Um, Sit down, get a negotiated rate, and let's make this more affordable for folks instead of sort of going forward. And we can get into sort of the details of this bill in a moment, but instead of pushing legislation that is inevitably going to seriously increase the price of of ambulance services. So how does paying the middleman for out-of-network costs help anyone besides serving as a disincentive for ambulance providers? So they're, they're not middlemen. I mean, they are, the, they are the insured. I mean, you're sending the payment to the insured to them. But like pay. you said, they don't get this payment if they're in the network in terms of a service. The person never sees the payment. It goes right to the ambulance provider. So h- how is the patient in, in this case benefited from the current model? So the patient is not uh, benefited from this bill at all. No, but the current model, though, how, how do they help? How does this help them? How does it them getting you know a check in the mail that they may or may not give to the ambulance provider? How is that good for them? Well, it's good for the collective because what it does is it helps incentivize the creation of networks um, and for ambulance companies to go into networks, which ultimately keeps your premiums lower. So, for instance, in in the case of this bill. Were to become were to become law, were to be signed by the governor, we would see probably a half a percent to a full percent premium increase, you know, across the board for New Yorkers, at a time where obviously everything costs a fortune, everything has gone up, inflation is sort of all over the place. So, 
and we could talk about the individual, or we could talk about the collective. The individual ultimately doesn't see any um, increase in the quality of care or the quality of service from this bill. It has nothing to do with, with, with the patient. It has nothing to do with the quality of the ride, the quality of the service. Right, but ambulance providers say that this has to do with ensuring that there is someone to answer that call. They argue that the current model is not financially viable for them and that the benefit to the patient from making a change is that they will be able to keep their doors open. And then when you call 911, you're not waiting 30, 45 minutes. Someone is there and ready to go and answer the call. Well, they've been pushing this bill for about two decades. Um, I haven't think, we seen more ambulance providers go out of business? I think that we've seen some, and I think that we've seen some come online. And many of them are municipal, and many of them are, are you know, volunteer. Um, I don't know that there's a real risk of them disappearing. I mean, there are plenty of ambulance services that operate within network that are operating just fine. Um, really, I mean, this boils down to, in, in a certain respect, it has to do with the UCR piece in this, the, the usual and customary rate. What the bill also allows to do is for ambulance services to charge whatever they want. So if you're in network, you have a negotiated rate of let, you know whatever it is X, um, and if you're out of network, you can charge X plus God knows what X plus 100 percent, and this would force insurance companies to treat you exactly the same. So the next day, if I'm an in-network ambulance, the moment I can get out of that network, I'm going to. And what ends up happening under UCR is that over time, as you continue to bill whatever it is you want to bill. That claims data, which is what's used to sort of develop that usual and customary rate, continues to rise. So in year one, you might see a $300 increase in that UCR. In year two, you may go to 500 600 The sky kind of becomes the limit. So you asked about, you know, the value of that direct payment versus non-direct payment. It, it, it's, it incentivizes something where you're in an industry with ambulance services where there's not a lot of sort of market competition. We know why a hospital joins a network brings more patients. An ambulance doesn't operate exactly like that. So in, to incentivize them to come to the table and negotiate, this has always been the carrot. If we take away the carrot, it's an absolute that the price of ambulance services will go up. Well, before we move on, let me reintroduce you for listeners just joining us. Uh, this is the Capitol Press Room, and we're speaking with Lev Ginsberg, Executive Director of the New York State Conference of Blue Cross Blue Shield Plans. So it seems like the crux of the problem here is that ambulance providers say the in-network rates, they aren't representative of the costs. Then we hear from the insurance providers who say, well, these out-of-network rates that you want to bill us are not representative uh, of the cost. Is there a happy middle ground that we could be negotiating? Because it doesn't seem like either side is happy with the in-network rate or the out-of-network rate, depending on who you are. Well, I'm not entirely certain that every ambulance service that is out of network has ever tried to negotiate. Okay. You know, I, I think that that would be my first that would be my first uh, my first move. Go sit down and and see what you can come up with for a rate. Negotiations are what they are, right? Listen, I represent the Blue Cross and Blue Shield plans in New York. Ninety five percent of my job is to advocate for those that pay premium, those that buy our insurance, to make sure that that insurance stays low. That's that's what I'm looking at here is the cost. So, you know, we have an incentive to keep this price as low as we can. We recognize the fact that, you know, we need, we need emergency services. That's obvious. Um, and no one's looking to sort of skin anybody to the bone. But you need to have real fair negotiation. I'm not in those rooms during those negotiations. There's a lot of ambulance services. But as I said, they've been pushing the same bill for 20-plus for years. 
or at least close to 20 years, I should say, I don't know that there's been an in-earnest attempt to, to constantly negotiate these rates. The other thing that I think is worth mentioning here that I think that nobody has really been talking about is that this bill doesn't only cover those emergency services. This would force the usual and customary rate on all kinds of medical transport. You know, the, the medical helicopters, the ambulance-to-ambulance rides, those ambulettes, whenever it's, it's within um, sort of that realm, this is going to drive those costs up also. So it's not just this tiny little window and this tiny little change, which obviously our friends in the legislature sort of took one look at, or I should say took a look really strongly at sort of one side of the ledger on this bill while not paying necessarily close enough attention to the other. It's very difficult to take a look at a bill like this, which frankly is a little dry, and realize what impact it has on everyone. But we live in a state that has over 60 unfunded mandates on private insurance. Each one of those has a cost. Um, you know, when you're measuring and doing a cost-benefit analysis, you know, I think that it's fair. I think that reasonable people sometimes can come up with uh, a, a balance and say, okay, it might be worth the extra cost for this or, or vice versa. I might not agree with them all the time, but, but I can see how they get there. This bill benefits one small sector. Um, it, it benefits ambulance services, whether they're private or municipal, and gives them the ability to make more money. It does not increase the value of the service, the safety of the service. It does, not that I'm questioning the value or safety of the service, but it doesn't do anything to help that. So all the patient sees, all the ratepayer sees, all the premium payer sees, the average New Yorker is an increase in their premium next year. Um, and so when you're, when you're sort of doing that balancing act on a bill like this, you sort of have to think of it not just in the, in the immediate, but in sort of the broader sense. Every time we do this, if we add a percent, every time we do a bill like this, our bills, I mean, there's a reason that there was a story today um, that the Northeast has the highest insurance rates, health insurance rates in the country, um, being led, of course, by the great state of New York. And it's not simply because everything costs more. Of course, everything costs more, but it's also because we cover this this broad, broad range uh, of mandated coverages that are not necessarily um, covered in other states. So when we look at something like this that does not have a direct benefit at all, to a patient or to a premium payer, we have to really say to ourselves, is this really a good time to, to start doing more things to increase the cost of insurance? So just to be clear and to circle back to the initial crux of the legislation, which is about direct payment, is it your assertion that there would be an increased cost from direct payment because ambulance providers would bill more in the future? Because they say that they just want to ensure that the money that's getting paid to the patients is actually getting into their pockets. And they say they aren't in this to charge more. It's just about getting paid for the work they're doing. So is it your assertion that they would bill more if they had direct payments? I would start by saying they will most definitely not bill less. Yeah, it is my assertion. They will ultimately bill more. I mean, why? And because they can. Because but then doesn't the legislature step in and act in, in some way? Don't we have financial regulators and other entities who could maybe take a, a look at alleged price gouging, whether it's the Attorney General's office, the Department of Financial Services, the Department of, of Health? I mean, I would ask the same question. Why haven't we taken a look as the ambulance services have asserted that they're having such a hard time getting payment from people? Why haven't we looked at remedies for that? I mean, if people are absconding with money that belongs to uh, an ambulance service, there are other remedies far beyond this, which increases cost. So is that um, something we should be doing right now? Should state regulators be looking at these people who are pocketing payments? 
I, I mean that that those people are are, are not necessarily uh, people that I'm thinking about today, and I'm not acting on behalf of the ambulance services. But if I were, mm-hmm. certainly I would be looking at a remedy uh, to get to get that money if I'm owed that money. I wouldn't be looking for ways to sort of upend the entire system when it comes to ambulance payments. There is there's a remedy. There's a remedy for for ambulance services that that want to get direct payment, and that is sit down and negotiate a rate. Others have done it. Others have been successful doing it. It's important in order to control cost. Um, you know, this legislation is just a, it's just frankly too broad, and and I'm sure that it would lead to the essentially elimination of the networks um, when it comes to ambulance services ar- around the state. Well, we've been speaking with Lev Ginsberg. He's the executive director of the New York State Conference of Blue Cross Blue Shield Plans. Lev, thanks for visiting us in the studio. My pleasure. Anytime. And for more Capital Press Room content, visit capitalpressroom.org or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. And if you listen to us from an Apple device, make sure to leave us a rating and a review so it helps other people find the show. for the Capitol Press Room provided by the New York State AFL-CIO, a federation of 3,000 unions fighting for working people by keeping New York State union strong. Visit unionstrongny.org for more information. Join us again for Capitol Press Room, a production of WCNY Connected, Syracuse.